with your powers combined, we are fan holes. Go, go, go fan can't believe there's a chat room big enough to hold all of our present bodies. Wow. <laughs> of all the things I missed about the show, I miss Tony being wrong always. We've already got a me. We don't need another me. <laughs> oh boy, a Bashir episode. <laughs> uh, ah yes, Derek. Lover of lobster women. Defender of Starfire's fidelity. I just want to know, who is the consultant? <laughs> no, I have no eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can relate to a, a talking cat that eats lasagna. I'll okay. do it, but I want to be immediately killed afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, in your Derek lair, do you have a list of that tells you like how to take down the other fan holes? Should we like go crazy? <laughs> how does my stupid voice sound? You sound beautiful. Like ten times sexier. Good job. No one gets us because we don't explain it. Hey guys! Welcome back to another Carbon Unit-tastic, nurse-made-erific episode of Fanholes Podcast! Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, and I am joined on this interstellar journey through the stars by not only one, not only two, but three, count them, three of my fellow fan holes. Why don't you guys give out the roll call and let everybody know who's here on the Starship Enterprise tonight. Hey, it's Mike and Star Trek the motion picture. We're like Star Trek the slow motion picture. <laughs> I bet I'm the first one to make that joke. This is Justin and no... Below that phaser order. <laughs> hey guys, this is Tony, and uh, on that note, photon torpedoes away! Stop competing with me, Tony. <laughs> I trust you all will nursemaid me through these difficult mister. All right, yeah, so so if in case you haven't figured it out, we are here. It is the the 40th anniversary of Star Trek the Motion Picture and as you may or may not have noticed, uh, Justin has made it a mandate to celebrate the anniversaries of of virtually all the Star Trek films that have a anniversary uh, in in this year, so so we are kind of closing it out with the movie that started it all, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and I I think I'm the only one here, but I I did have the opportunity to go see Star Trek in the theater recently, like I saw it about uh, at the time of this recording about a week ago, and I remember Justin was asking me, is was it the theatrical cut or was it the director's cut, and uh, we were having this conversation about. You know, I was like, well, it was dark out, so I'm pretty sure it was the theatrical, you know, because I'm bulking, it was dark out, and they had the moons and shit, so I was like, I'm pretty sure it was the theatrical cut. I, I now that I've sort of refreshed my memory and, and compared the two, I, I now can confirm with without a shadow of a doubt that it was the theatrical cut. You, you know what surprised me? And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I was just oblivious to this whole thing, but... You know, the Blu-ray that's out for Star Trek The Motion Picture is just the theatrical cut. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of how they show these movies and these event-type things, like Fathom. It's like a digital copy of the movie gets sent to the projector, and then they, you know, project it on the screen and all that stuff. So I'm guessing the only, you know, high-def, you know, Blu-ray-type, you know, quality digital 
copy that they could send to these theaters is the theatrical release. And I'm sitting there going, man, like, I mean, I know there, I, I remember there was some article talking about how they want to release a 4K, you know, HD version of the theatrical cut as well. And like, twofold, like, it, it's funny, I'm like, part of me is annoyed and part of me is pleased because I'm like sitting there going, hey, so this, this, uh, theatrical uh, or this uh, director's cut DVD that I own is is still the only way to really watch the director's cut. So part of me is kind of like, hey, this this is not completely obsolete. Like that's pretty cool. And then part of me is like, man, they should have a set like Blade Runner, man. They they should have a set with like the theatrical release in HD with the director's cut in HD and then that ABC TV super special length movie. They should have all that stuff in, in like a single set, like like the, the Blade Runner set where it's got like the narration, the director's cut, the not director's cut, the, the unicorn, the not the fucking unicorn. Like they should have all that stuff. So part of me is kind of like shocked and appalled that they don't have like a comprehensive like HD set of, of all this stuff out for home video, but that that was kind of like me kind of discovering that and kind of going that's that's crazy. They should they should totally have that, but you know I guess they're working on the the director's thing and they probably couldn't have it ready in time for the 40th anniversary. I guess so that's that's why that's where it is. I guess. I'm like you're speaking my language. One. Uh, package with all three cuts. I'm like, yes, mm. yes. Like I don't, I don't. I mean, I don't know. We're. It's not like we're in the dark ages, man. Like we, we <laughs> yeah. you know, like this can be done. I mean, yeah. I guess, I guess the thing is, they, they probably the the concern is, is it, is it profitable? Like, will people buy this? You know, and it's like, I, I would buy something like that. Like, I totally would buy something like that. I went to look because I knew we were doing this, and I was kind of like, hey, maybe I'll, maybe I will upgrade. Maybe I'll get the Blu-ray to watch it in nice quality. I go, there must be a nice Blu-ray that has like all the different versions and everything. And I'm like, nope, doesn't exist. It's just the theatrical. Cut, which was interesting. It was interesting to watch it in the theater. I, I will say that the stupid fat fuck next to me who fell asleep and snored, like, I was like, I wish his stupid fat wife would have nudged him and waked him the fuck up, because, you know, there's a lot of ambient stuff, like, like when the music is playing, when the, the wonderful Jerry Goldsmith score is playing and blasting and everything, you can't hear this dumb fat fuck guy snoring, but when it's like in some of the more you know, subtle scenes where there's not a score and it's just a dramatic moment between, say, Kirk and, and Bones or something like that, then it's like it totally wrecks the whole tone and experience because you're in the middle of it and they're trying to have a conversation about his obsession with the Enterprise and in the background you hear some fuckface going like... <laughs> and I'm like, would you wake that fuck the fuck up, please? Like, Jesus Christ. And I know, you know, people were joking about it because I saw all these people on the feeds. They were all going to watch it and stuff. And then, you know, like Shag Matthews, Fire and Water, shout out. But he he he, he left a message on, on when I posted that I was watching it. He's like, did you make it the whole way through? Because I didn't, you know. And I was like, no, I was fine. But I'm like, the dude, two seats over from me fell the fuck asleep. So I was just like, Jesus Christ. But anyway. I, I mean, you know, I, I know it's your mandate. Like, you, you want to make this a show that's that's full of positivity and and that really celebrates the film. And I mean, you know, I, I gotta admit, like, you know, I, I know all the, you know, I, I'm familiar with all the kind of 
uh, hot shots that people take at this movie. But I mean, you know, focusing on on things that I think are, are great about it. I mean, I've always liked the movie. Like to me, it was kind of odd because this came out in 1979, so I was only like two years old. So I never saw this in the theater. I mean, I, I know I mention this frequently, but this might be a good place to to kick things off or whatever. But like for years, like because to me, I think the first. The first Star Trek film I saw in the theater was The Wrath of Khan, and I remember watching the original series episodes with my dad. And, like, it's kind of funny because I had the Mr. Spock three and three-fourths Mego figure, so you would think I would understand that that was from a totally different movie or whatever, but I don't know that I really made that connection, per se. And, like, for a long time, I used to think that, like, the original television series was like, quote unquote, the first movie. And they just called it Star Trek two. Cause there was a television series. And then later I remember seeing like the book and record set for, for Star Trek, the motion picture, and then seeing it on home video and kind of going, Hey, what's this? And like, I was trying to refresh my memory about stuff, but like, it seemed like there were different VHS copies that floated around because that ABC, like, souped-up special-length version of it. Like, I remember seeing that on VHS, like, when I was, like, comparing it and looking... Like, there's some really great um, sites on YouTube that have, like, different um, comparison videos and stuff like that. Um, like, there's one called, like, the... What is it? Like, Trek Trekkie Fans or Trekkie Channel or, I don't know, some, something like that, where this guy just does all these comparison videos. You know what he does? Like, I, I haven't even seen, like all the special editions of the original series, but, like, he'll go and, like, painstakingly compare them and everything, but because YouTube has their dumb algorithm, like, some of his videos are taken down, but I, I watched a little bit of the comparison videos he had between, like, he, he did ones with the ABC cut and then the theatrical cut and some with the theatrical cut and the director's cut, and it sort of painstakingly shows you, like, how they made changes to the different versions and like i was kind of surprised because i don't think i don't think until we were getting ready to do this i really sat down and did a stare and compare and i i didn't realize how drastically different i mean it's more than just a couple souped up special effects i mean it's it's really subtle cuts and 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 trying to just make the film a lot more tighter than it was in the theatrical version and i think that might have been to the detriment of like some of the supporting cast who probably were butthurt that their lines got cut out but it seems like a lot of their lines were to potentially cover for the fact that they might not have had the special effects ready in time for the theatrical release back in 1979 so like a lot of the lines that are cut is like you know sulu going like the new shields held, you know, and it's like, well, now that we have the fucking special effect that shows the shields held, like, we don't really need to see him say that, right? So then when it came time for them to do the theatrical cut, they were like, oh, well, let's cut that the fuck out. We don't need that, you know, like, and it's just, you know, it's just kind of logical or whatever. So, you know, there, there were lots of things like that that kind of surprised me. And, and, and I think intuitively it dawned on me that it was the, theatrical cut that I was watching in the theater because of the Vulcan scene, because that's the one that, to me, stood out the most as the, to me, that was always the key of, oh, how do you tell whether this is the theatrical or the director's? Because I'm, I'm not one of those guys, I, I, I don't think I, I knew Star Trek The Motion Picture inside and out. I mean, I've seen it a bunch of times, but I feel like because that director's cut had been in my DVD collection for so long, since 2000, I feel like if I had seen it multiple times, 
it was probably that version that I've seen the most. So I probably became more accustomed to that. But well, what about you guys? Like, like I guess, how did you, I guess, first watch Star Trek, the motion picture? Like, I know with me it was VHS, but, like, I, I don't know if anybody here has actually seen it in the theater or if it was all sort of, you know, VHS stuff after the fact. Um, I, I was pretty much introduced to the film on HBO. Okay. Because the yeah, the first movie I saw in theaters from Star Trek was Star Trek Two, And I was a kid, and, you know, yes, yes, one thing I always say as a detraction point is it's a long movie. However, in the spirit of positivity, this was also 10 years after the show ended, you know, and, like, a lot of people were really excited to see these guys come back. And even as a kid, I remember really, like, you know, uh, another thing that a lot of people online like to uh, make fun of or poke fun of is the uh, the, the 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 beauty shots of uh, the Enterprise when they unveil the refit. Dude, honestly, it kind of deserved that moment because it was a really nice like redesign of a classic ship. And you know, it, it, uh, you know, in in my head, I'm like, yeah, we can make fun of it. Oh, it goes on too long. But honestly, it was it was kind of a big moment because like, you know, like Kirk was being reintroduced to his baby and, you know, the music, like you said, swelling, you know, it was like, it's the motherfucking Enterprise. And it's like, it was kind of exciting, you know, like even for someone who like, you know, this may not be my favorite Star Trek film, but there's there's definitely a lot of good moments. And I, I think you even see like Kirk getting a little choked up, like, you know, like impressed by like, you know, this, this updated version of his, his, you know, his pride and joy. So as a kid, even I could recognize that I was like, that's a really cool ship, you know, like that's my, my kid and me. So as I've watched it over the years, as I get older and older and older, I'm still going to poke fun at it here and there, but the length doesn't bother me more. And the more nuanced scientific kind of uh, plot line, you know, is, is a really big change from how they kind of went with more action after Wrath of Khan. Because they're like, oh, Wrath of Khan made a lot of money. We got to, you know, have more phaser fights and more space battles, which I'm always going to like space battles. I, I you know, I, I liked Star Wars when I was a kid. But at its core, Star Trek should be about science fiction. And if nothing else, as I've gotten older, I, I do really appreciate how this first movie was more about a more driven storyline about you know science and like science fiction instead of just like pew pew shoot laser now so you know like i i have grown to appreciate this movie so that that's definitely something positive i can say so i have changed my stance from when i was younger where i was like oh there's some boring parts to now being more welcoming of like you know oh well you know this is how people talk you know they they're they're all friends and they're back together after 10 years you know real time and, you know, I, I, I really think that, like, my first viewing was through the, the eyes of a child. So being able to kind of grow up watching it over and over again as I grow up really helped. You know, it's not a, I don't think it's a movie for kids. I think you really should have a more mature mindset to really kind of understand what the movie's trying to show you. I kind of think it's also a matter of presentation, too, because like you and I both said, we, we got to see Star Trek, too in a theater and see the full widescreen theatrical release. But one thing that's easy to forget is you watched it on HBO. I watched it at a video rental store, but those were both still pan and scan type 
presentation. So, it, I mean, that's another aspect where it would be harder to uh, appreciate, you know, or, or even make it somewhat easier to take for granted, you know, all the hard work that went into that film. And then the other thing is there's a lot of world building that goes on in this single movie that too. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that expands the Trek universe. If you like Star Trek. Yeah. And and I think that gets taken for granted because, you know, specifically you're talking about the, the, the money shots of the enterprise, right? I I know the, the old joke is, you know, Rod beer's like, where are we going to park this thing? And then they invented the transporters, which they fucking ripped off from forbidden planet or whatever. But it's like, great. So you got the transporters, right? That explains that. But you know, still in the back of your head, you're like, where the fuck do they park this thing? You know, and here you go. This is where the fuck they park this thing in fucking space dock. And it's like, great. Now, to me, I'm like, now I know. And it's like, it's like, that's, that's part of that world building that I think gets taken for granted where you're like, you wonder, like, what does the Federation look like exactly? Like, what is going on and everything? And, and for me, sort of keeping it on a positive track. And I, I did want to mention this. And as, as a native of the Bay Area, I, I remember myself and my friends, one of the things that we took pride in, uh, was that, Starfleet was in San Francisco and, and, and that we lived close by and everything. And so like, that was one of those things where we saw the shuttles coming through Starfleet. We immediately recognized the golden gate bridge and I'm sure the golden gate bridge is recognized worldwide all over. But for us, I mean, it was kind of like a special thing that like, we're kind of like, Oh dude, Starfleet's headquarters is, is pretty much in our hometown. And I imagine it's the same feeling, like, even though, you know, it's a matte painting and it's, you know, not not the real, quote-unquote, San Francisco, I mean, I imagine it's the same feeling that I, I, I felt swell up in the theater to communicate to people when I was in a theater watching Black Panther. And even though they're in the middle of Atlanta, Georgia, shooting the basketball hoops, it, it you know, it's, it's said at the end of Black Panther, he's in Oakland, California. And you could feel... The, the theater, the, the room full of people kind of be like, you know, represent! Woo, woo. Like, they were all happy because it was like they, they were seeing something of themselves in the film, regardless of, you know, I don't know, to me, regardless of, of race and background or any of that kind of stuff. It was just, hey, this is our hometown. This is awesome because this character we like that we think is really cool hails from this area. And it was kind of the same thing. It was like, it was like, dude, like Kirk, and, you know, was flying his shuttle through San Francisco. This is freaking awesome. Like, we're, you know, we're, we're all from, you know, where Starfleet's from. Like, we, we thought that was super cool and everything. But I guess, what about you, Justin? Like, this is kind of, you know, I know, I know this, this has been your initiative, right? Like, you, you wanted to discuss all these, these films and you wanted to celebrate the 40th anniversary of them. And, and I know, you know, back when you said Star Trek Generations was an ugly baby and you don't like this baby, do you want to go into, like, what you think of this particular baby? Like, how, what your feelings are on the, the crib and, and everything else? Sure. So, uh, just to pull back the curtain for our listeners a little bit, like, this episode has kind of been in the works for like a year because late one night, Derek, Tony, and I were just kind of shooting the breeze. And somehow it dawned on me. I was like, hey, next year is going to be the 40th anniversary for Star Trek The Motion Picture. Let's do an episode about it. And then I feel like I slowly talked you guys into this idea for an hour. I was like, this will be my final say. Like, I'll shut up forever about it. And then I was like, ooh, ooh. And there are three more Star Trek films that have anniversaries. We can talk about those, too. 
So this is like the culmination of that like year-long idea. The first time I encountered Star Trek The Motion Picture was actually that Marvel super special comic book. What I remember is I remember my uncle like collects just about everything there is under the sun. And I remember beside his couch, he had like a big stack of magazines that he had bought. And I guess I was left alone in the uh, living room and I was just started like digging through them. The two that I remember in that big stack was there was a Playboy featuring Bo Derek and it was pictures of her from that awful Tarzan movie she made. <laughs> So I was fascinated by that. I was like, oh, wow. And then I saw that Star Trek. I was just like, ooh, Star Trek. But it I don't know why, but it, it didn't register that it was an adaptation of a movie for some reason, even though it says motion picture on the freaking cover. Like in my little kid brain, I was just like, ooh, a Star Trek comic. And there's characters I've never seen before, and they're wearing funny uniforms. This is weird. And like that was my first encounter with the movie. And then. The first time I watched it, I remember it was a Saturday afternoon, and after cartoons went off at like noon or you know twelve thirty or whatever, if you were lucky, one of your channels would play like a science fiction movie. If you were really lucky, it would be a Godzilla movie. So I would usually stick around for a few minutes to see what was on, and one afternoon it was like coming up next Star Trek the motion picture, and I was like play you know it played like a few clips or something. I was like, I've never seen this. And like at the time, like I had seen like, you know, two, three and four. So I was like, wow, like this, this is new Star Trek. So I sat down and for the next three, three and a half hours, I watched it. And I was excited because it was Star Trek and it was something I had never seen before. But I also because I was a little kid, I was like, this is weird. Like it's kind of slow. And even as a kid, I thought, why are. Why are there so many special effects shots like Star Trek usually doesn't indulge itself like that? You know, like the old series, it's like, you know, whatever they could put on a string and film, they didn't get away with it. That's what they would do. But this was like, you know, this was like really big and different. And I recognized that as a kid. So I didn't, you know, fall in love with it at first sight. I don't think I really started to champion the film until, like, maybe the director's cut came out because, like, I was really excited for that. I remember going out and getting that, you know, watching it, watching all the special features and commentary and everything, which I, I guess I should say. So Derek prepared by watching the movie in the theater. I didn't get to do that because I live in the middle of nowhere. But to make up for that, because I did all my research... I watched the theatrical cut. I watched the theatrical cut with commentary. I watched the director's cut. I watched the director's cut with commentary. I watched the director's cut with text commentary and all the special features with both of those releases. So I did my due diligence. Like that's did how you, much I like this movie. <laughs> did you did you listen to that one commentary I sent you that was online or whatever? I, I didn't have time to listen. Oh, uh, okay. You know, you know what's funny about that? Like, I listened to it. There's a commentary, a, another commentary on StarTrek.com, and I guess it was after Robert Wise passed away. So they got, like, some of these guys that were either producers or, you know, historians or whatever talking about it. You, you, you know what that felt like to me? There, there's one, there's three guys, and one of the three guys on it, do you remember, uh, this is going to be a totally random segue for, for most of the listeners who are just interested in Star Trek, but like, do you remember when they 
release those Neo Genesis Evangelion movies, not the, the redo movies, but the original compilation movies. And there were those audio commentaries where it was like the ADD DVDs. There was that commentary where they, they nonstop went into all the religious symbolism and, and meanings and, you know, whatever they could draw out from it. And, and it wasn't so much, you know, a commentary from the filmmakers, but it was like almost like this semi historical, but more factual, like, you know, the, the Evangelion, this is, look at the cross here and the angel and this and that and this. And I remember I hate Evangelion, but like, <laughs> I enjoyed listening to this guy, like basically philosophize and or theologize with the content within the film and how he's like extracting all this symbolism that he perceives. And I was like, Oh, that's great. Cause I didn't get any of that fucking shit from this fucking movie, but I, I enjoyed listening to the commentary. And it's funny because the guy on the star Trek.com commentary, he's like, yeah. And it's all about, Kirk's obsession and then see when the screen closes, see how he's in darkness and see that shows how he split off. And he's like, and then Bob, man, Bob would tell me, I didn't intend any of that. Like that, you know, you're just making all this shit up, but he would always tell him like, look at all the symbolism you insert into your, into your films. And, and, and I guess maybe, I, I don't know if, if, if Robert Wise just didn't want people to see how the magic trick was done and he kept blowing the guy off or, or if it was legitimately like some of this was subconscious or whatever. But I, I just, that, that I found interesting because this guy was like, he was digging every last nugget of potential symbolism for the human experience and, and how that relates and, and how the, there's that conflict with the, I guess the mechanical mind or maybe the, the machine mind of V'ger that's very kind of zero and one, you know, yes or no type thing. Whereas, you know, you go into the, the personal relationships between all the characters and feelings and, and, and understanding that, you know, like Kirk's a good guy, but there's some things in this that he's doing that are to behoove himself or for his own benefit. And the fact that he can recognize those things and make adjustments during the course of the movie to sort of self-correct, like that's, that's something that's very human, you know, and, and not, not as simple as ones or zeros or anything like that. And so like that, you know, and I know there's like tons of different commentaries because I remember the one, the historical one with Bob Wise and they, they, inserted all the different audio and all that other stuff. And then, you know, they, they had all those documentaries on, you know, phase two and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm sure you're, you're all on top of that. Mm -hmm. I also reread that Marvel super special this evening. Like I hadn't read that in a long time. And I guess I forgot like in that, like they have that memory wall sequence, which they abandoned mm. in the movie. I was just like, Oh yeah, that is in this. I yeah. Like, the, the, oh, where where I'm, Kirk and Spock are doing the, the, the moon jump or whatever they're doing in their yeah. shoots and stuff. And then they, and then they, it's like, I think in the theatrical cut, they, they have the, I don't think they had the moment where like Ilea goes and does her uh, healing thing on, on Chekhov or whatever. Right. But then in right, the, in the, but in the comic adaptation, they, they, that's still part of the, you know, the narrative and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's also in the director's cut. Yeah, there was some alternate dialogue too, like when Kirk, Spock, and McCoy were having their little powwow, and you know, Kirk's like, "Would you please sit down?" Yeah, yeah. Like there, there, I noticed there was some alternate dialogue, like in the the super special, and McCoy was kind of ribbing Spock, and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of interesting." Like it makes it more tense in the comic. Like I wonder if that was stuff they filmed and they felt it didn't 
quite cut it and you know they removed it or what yeah, it's interesting yeah. you you hear a bunch of stories about that kind of stuff right because they, they do all those memoirs and then all the cast members are yelling at each other i mean i know the common mm-hmm. thing is like other members of the crew would say oh you know bill would flub takes so that our scenes didn't didn't stay in there yada 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 but you know the, the more i look at it i'm just kind of like what what scenes did you have with william shatner that that would have caused that. Like, I mean, maybe I'm being obtuse, but I'm just kind of like, look, like most of the stuff, like I said, to me, seems like that got cut out was because, and, and mainly that's only in the, the director's cut too, is like stuff where you're like, well, you know, they're, they're just cleaning up redundant dialogue that is actually shown and not, doesn't need to be told, which is kind of like the tenant of, of naturalistic storytelling, you know, like you don't, you don't need to, to repeat something twice, you know, once visually and then once, you know, verbally to just, you know, hammer the point home or whatever. Something that was cut I thought was funny is um, it's on the ABC cut is like there's a scene where like after Ilya has just, you know, arrived on the bridge, Sulu's all flummoxed and stuff. And he's like falling over the control panel. Like, trying oh, to right, right, right. Yeah. And stuff. Well, like, and then they talked about how, like, because I, I sort of forgot about this, but, like, in the theatrical cut, there's that shot where right after they come out of the, the wormhole and everything, you see Ilea and she's, like, you know, bouncing up and down because the whole ship's shaking. Mm-hmm. And they, they, I think in one of the documentaries, they mention it where they're talking about the the difference between the director's cut where they're like, oh, yeah, and there was this one shot with Persis and her boobies were bouncing up and down and this and that. And then they're like, oh, well, we, we removed that from the other. You know, like, that was unnecessary. We didn't need yeah, that. The, the uh, theatrical cut, like, they mentioned that in the commentary. Like, one of the guys is like, a little bit of jiggling there. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, <laughs> you know, like, that's something that, like, I, I feel like is worth talking about. I mean, y- you know, like, they talk about Phase 2 and all this stuff, and, you know, it, it, it's kind of like my tenant where Hollywood never lets go of a bad idea or a good idea or whatever. You, you know what I mean? It's like it's like a, my, my tirade about Howard Stern being the scarecrow turning into, uh, you know, what's-his-face from 28 Days, Chris, Crispin, what's-his-face being the Scarecrow, and that, that whole fear gas scene where Batman jumps out the window, that was in so many drafts, and it still, like, lived on until Batman begins, and it just wouldn't fucking die, right? Like, it just kept going through different permutations of the script, and then they wouldn't abandon that because they liked the idea so much. And it's like, I feel like the same thing about Ilea and Decker are, like, the proto- uh, Troy and Riker, you know, like, cause it's like, they, they just, Roddenberry wouldn't let that go. You know, I, I will, I will say as far as, uh, positives, um, uh, just in general, Persis Gambata is a, uh, positive. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I always thought it was Gene Roddenberry's stupid, dumb idea to shave her head. But then like in one of the commentaries I mentioned, it was like, um, one of the, uh, makeup artist or something hmm. so i'm not really sure but it, it sounds like a total stupid dumb gene roddenberry idea like, I, I, I mean she was she was gorgeous and there's some footage on youtube of her getting her hair shaved and yeah she's just, yeah she's she's, she's so upset she's and crushed like, and everything so like that her, that's yeah. what i remember from all the documentaries they, they constantly remember oh when she got her head shaved like that was that, you know and it's like it makes sense right like i mean a- any yeah any any woman who had hair like that would, would be upset after you shaved their head but like I, I don't ever remember. It's interesting you bring up there was some sort of rationale for doing it. Like somebody had this idea and it's like, what? it's like, what? 
that that I don't recall at all. Like, what? Why do Deltons have to be bald? Like, because they're celibate? Like, what? I, I don't even know the connection between baldness and celibacy, you know, or, or whatever the deal was. But it seems like they just wanted her to look alien, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, and that's that's something that's that's clearly not done on the regular on planet Earth, right? <laughs> like, so yeah. so it went the Vulcan route, you know. It's like, what makes Spock different? He got pointy ears. That's why he's an alien. So they're like, why is this chicken alien? She's bald. I mean, it is a very Star Trek thing to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I, her performance is, I think, very subdued and nuanced. Like, I remember when I read, I didn't have time to reread it for this podcast, but I remember when I originally read William Shatner's Star Trek movie memories, like, when he got to the motion picture part of his book, he kind of, I don't want to say he, like, threw her over or anything but he kind of was like saying a lot of the holdups was because of her like flubbing lines or having difficulty and but like no one else has ever said that like i've never seen that repeated anywhere anywhere else so i don't i don't really know but like i guess if i had a complaint about the movie it it would be like you need more scenes of ilea before she becomes the pro like you don't really get a whole lot of time with her um yeah. before she's like zapped and then what what i do like is decker slowly draws stuff out of her as you as you go through the movie especially when she's looking in the mirror she's got the little thing around her head and you know dr chapel's like ilea and you can kind of see her coming to life and then at the very end of the movie like when they're figuring out it's like oh like we need to do this and blah 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 and you know it's a machine looking for its creator and blah 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 and needs to join like at the very end of the movie like i don't know if it's just the lighting or the lighting combined with like her makeup, like she looks really great there at the end. And then she has this, there's a few shots where she has this very like kind of pained look on her face. Like her lips are slightly open. It's like, it's like she almost, she knows what needs to be done to like solve the problem, but she can't, she either can't or won't tell them how to solve it. And I was, I was always like, Oh, I never, like I never really noticed that until like a couple of years ago. I was like, "Oh, look at look at the expression on her face." I'm like, "She knows, but she can't tell them." Yeah, I, I you know, it's like they they explain it in the movie that like you know, Ilea, you know, Ilea Carbon Unit is no more. You know, I am a probo beecher and all this stuff. But at the same time, it's like there there really does seem to be moments where the the uh, I don't know uh, the 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 presence or the uh, the person who Ilea was is still in there somewhere. Well, and, and she's, that's, that's good. She's yeah, that's good acting. She's an exact. I mean, that that that's the thing that's interesting about it. That's that's the stuff that that somebody who's a, a diehard Star Trek fan that likes exploring questions and the unknown and and you know what what a new life form represents. I mean that that's one of those scientific kind of philosophical questions it's like if you copy somebody down to the the atom you know and and this it's it's like they've they've uh, they didn't really kill Ilea they absorbed what she was it's like it to, to me like you know Viger is like in in his own way is like the the Star Trek universe's version of Brainiac i mean he he, he absorbs the data and then he can spit it back out as as you know it's funny i i was looking at like a 
a cast description or like a character description. And I, I'd never considered it this way, to be perfectly honest, because of the performance. But they described it as like, I, I oh no, it was probably in the super special where they give the character breakdowns. And they describe it as like, Ilea and Ilea 2. And it made me think of fucking... Puru and Puru 2 from fucking Gundam or whatever, but like, that's like, and I was just uh, like, I've never, I never thought of it that way. Like, I never yeah. thought of it as like, you know, carbon unit, you know, disclose the information, you know, I, ne- I never thought of it as that they were two separate people. I thought of it as like, she she got absorbed and copied and then, and then reconstituted. And yes, it was, you know, McCoy is very clear like this is this is a, a mechanism you know it's not but it's like it's a mechanism that's perfectly copied and and he you know Decker draws those things out of her and that's something that I mean that that is a philosophical quandary it's like are you you still you you know like do you you know and it's like it's like there's those moments where you see like like is that still possible can like I mean Decker like you know it, it, I was talking about the the Troy Riker thing, and it's this kind of thing they they had a you know I mean I, I know it wasn't true with with uh, Decker and Ilea, but it's like okay the both of them had a fling on Riza you know so to speak right like they they had this thing this very intense love affair or whatever it was which I'm still baffled by because it's like I don't know was it was it all was it not physical like like or or did she break her oath of celibacy with Decker like like. What, what does all that stuff mean exactly? Like, like I mean, I know she turns heads when she walks through the the bridge, right? And it's like, is she like Starfire? Like, and it's like, oh, all these other you know human beings are, are you know sexually, uh, uh, how does she put it? Sexually um, uh, immature. immature, right? Like, like that they they can't handle the Delton, you know, uh, uh, you know booty swing or wh- however that goes, you know. Like, I I I don't know that I fully comprehend what exactly was trying to be put down there but i got what i got out of it was they had an intense connection whether it was not physical or maybe physical i i, I don't really know for sure right like i mean i would assume it was physical but you know maybe i'm wrong maybe because i'm sexually immature it wasn't physical right but but i assume they have this intense connection between the two of them and that existed even before she was you know absorbed by V'ger. And then when she's reconstituted, it's, it's this kind of interesting, I mean, he's, he's, he's desperately trying to reconnect to her. And there are those little moments, those little clues that what was Ilea is still there somewhere. And, and it's, it's kind of crazy, but like the Decker, I think is representative of that, that thing that Steven Spielberg freaked out about when he got older, but it's that, it's that young man who does not have responsibilities to a family or children, and that sort of abandon of, I will go up on the mashed potatoes close encounter ship. <laughs> you know, Steven Spielberg, I think, later said he regretted that because he's like, uh-huh. oh, you know, I, I made that movie when I was a young man and I didn't have a wife and kids, and now that I have a wife and kids, I know I would never leave my family to go up to hang out with mashed potato aliens, right? I get what he's saying. Like, I totally understand that. But at the same time, like, he wasn't thinking of that at the time. And I think Decker is even a better example of that because Decker 
his his father died doing the you know the the maneuver and all that other stuff into the little space turd or whatever from that one episode <laughs> and like and like so so he doesn't have commodore dad decker anymore like there's probably not a lot of people left in his life and then the person he had this intense connection with gets absorbed by Viger. And I think that's why he's so willing. I mean, most people would go, I mean, I used to look at Decker and think, this dude's crazy. Like, like, why, why would you do that? Like, why would you abandon your humanity and, and become this mechanical thing or fuse with this thing? Like, what, what is this? I don't really understand it. But I think just based on, I don't know, like, like there's a weird sense of romanticism that, that he has not only with Ilea, but just, that notion of he needs to belong somewhere. And I think he comes to the conclusion that this is, you know, I mean, he says that outright. I mean, it's clearly spelt out. He's like, I don't belong on the enterprise. You belong on the enterprise, Kirk. But me, I think this is, this is where I'm going to belong. And, and, and part of that is, I, I mean, I'm sure if, if the chips had fallen different ways, like, I mean, if, if, if the probe had absorbed fucking Chekhov and Chekhov <laughs> was running around going like, Oh, you know, a carbon unit, you know, or whatever, like, like everything would have gone to shit. Cause Decker wouldn't have wanted, you know, it wouldn't have been the same thing. Right. But, yes. but, but I think because of the way everything, all the way the cards lined up, I mean, you have this, this notion of, you know, I don't know, to, to me, like that, that's something that, you know, I would focus on as a positive. And I think, I think they established that relationship. I mean, I know you said you wanted to see more of her and, and maybe more of them. Right. But mm-hmm. I think, I think they, they do a good job of non-verbally communicating a shared history, even though there's some, you know, pretty obvious lines here and there and exchanges between the two of them. You know, they, they show concern for one another, they, you know, and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, it, it's, it's also has to be a little restrained because they're, they're in, a, you know, essentially a military organization, right? So they can't just like, you know, rip off their clothes and jump into each other's arms and be like, I'm so happy to see you or whatever. It's like, it's, it's, um, you know. So there was a scene that they never filmed. One of the ways Decker was going to try and awaken Ilea when she was a probe was he was going to have sex with her. And when this was being discussed, uh, William Shatner found out about this scene, and he was like, well, shouldn't Kirk be the one to do it? I mean, he's the star here. And so like, they, they, <laughs> so, of course, William Shatner wouldn't like, want to do that. But like, they, they eventually <sighs> It sounds like. You know, you know what that fucking sounds like? That sounds like fucking Kirk Douglas in fucking Saturn 3 with fucking Farrah Fawcett. I, <laughs> fucking so fucking funny. Oh, man. Sorry. That one was the banging. I mean, come on. <laughs> if anybody's going to do the banging, it's going to be me. No, that, that's too funny. Um, I, I will say, like, uh, Deckard, like, by some of the fandom, uh, gets a bad rap. Because, I mean, there's some points where he's like, he comes off a little whiny, you know, uh, when he butts heads with Kirk a couple of times. But, dude, like, I mean, in the first part of the movie, like, you know, before Ilya gets transformed, you know, he is butting heads with Kirk. And, like, you know, he's having to deal with, like, one of the most decorated officers of Starfleet. And Kirk is kind of a dick to him sometimes. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's interesting. You'd think somebody that William Shatner has the, the ego he's uh, purportedly so famous for like Kirk is not a character without many foibles in this. I mean, I'd be willing to say, I mean, Decker's pretty much on point for the first, you know, 
I don't know, almost the whole fucking movie. You know what I mean? Like, like the, the, you know, we joke about the, you know, belay that phaser order. But I mean, when all said and done, he's like, and you acted appropriately, you know, like you, you knew firing the phasers would fuck everything up and, and firing the photon torpedoes was the way to go. And he says, I trust you will nursemaid me through all this bullshit. And he says he'll do it. And he does. And, and, and then, you know, it's like, do you, can you imagine the restraint that somebody like, I mean, he loves Ilea, right? And Ilea, for all intents and purposes, in his mind, dies when that probe comes on the ship. And he just got through telling Kirk, I think this is an unwarranted gamble. And then when all that shit goes down, like, the most anger he can express is, this is what I fucking define as unwarranted. You just got, like, the love of my life killed, right? But, I mean... That that's as far as it goes. I mean, he doesn't like you know. They don't get into a fisticuffs. Like none of that <laughs> yeah. stuff happens. I think if it was it was something now, you know, and it's like some Fast and the Furious movie, everybody would be punching each other in the face and doing fucking flip kicks and all this other dumb shit, right? But here, it's like it, it's not. It, it 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 has to you know. It's within the decorum of this military structure. He can't fucking bitch slap his captain, you know, physically. But he can certainly verbally give him brow beating and kind of saying, hey, what the hell's wrong with you? This is how the buster defines unwarranted. Well, <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's funny. You know, you know what that makes me think of is and, and I think this is different depending on the theatrical and the, the director's cut. But Justin can help me out on this. But, you, you know. What it reminds me of is the transporter sequence, not when McCoy comes back, but when they lose um, whoever, you know, whoever supposedly Kirk's wife and and Sonak, right? And they they, they scream to death because the transporters are malfunctioning and they can't get a lock on them and there's this whole thing. And, I mean, I've seen this movie with my dad so many fucking times, right? But the thing I remember the most is, you know, there's that moment where he's like, it's all right, Janice. There was nothing you could have done. And and I, usually my dad's reaction to that is, what the fuck's the matter with you, dude? Like, what, what what do you even need to say that for? It sounds like you're a fucking asshole. Like, I don't, I mean, that, that, I don't know what that scene's about, per se. Like, it's, it's weird because there's that context where people are saying in the novel it was his wife. And I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I get the vibe that, that they're solemn, that people have passed away and all that kind of stuff. But like, I, I don't know that I got the sense that the, the person on the other side of that meant any more than a valued crew member. Right. And then, and then the other thing that, that to me, like I said, I, that that's always stuck with me is just that reaction to it where it's like, I don't know, there, there's something about the way it's like, dude, you're the one who pushed her out of the way with the controls and took over and did the captain thing. Just like he's obsessed with the enterprise. I mean, if it was Decker and he pushed him out of the way, he might've fucked that shit up. Like what? He's never been on that ship. Maybe Janice knows the controls better than him. Maybe he fucked that whole thing up. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. Like, it's just, there's a lot of things in that where going back to the point is like, I think there's, there's elements to where Kirk starts out at the beginning of this, where there are plenty of foibles and, and he doesn't look like, you know, the, the whole joke about, well, I'm the star. Shouldn't I be, you know, uh, banging uh, the, the the space probe, you know, or whatever, you know, it's like, well, make well, love to the space probe. Yeah, yeah, it's like make love to the space probe, you know. But you know, I I I don't know. Like like part of me is kind of like maybe I'm biased and I'm in denial over it. But it's like I don't know. Like like it seems like Kirk or Shatner and, and Nimoy had a lot of say over what ended up going into the script. And I think 
I, I don't know. I, I don't see them. I, I don't know. I don't see it as being ego driven. I see them inputting as something that would service the character and the story. But maybe that's just my naivete about it all. Well, I, I always, I always took it like you know, with certain scenes that like. Yes, you know, Kirk, by his nature, is a swaggering, bravado-laden character. He's, uh, you know, cocksure and just self-assured that he could do anything, and he, he, he can, you know, he's got this by the balls, you know, I can, I can handle any situation. And he does kind of, you know, be little Decker a little bit here and there. You know, he takes a little pot shots here and there. But I think at the core of it, and, you know, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give Bill some uh, credit here. You know, everybody likes to poke fun at his acting style. But I, I always got that he was threatened by Decker. You know, he was like, you know, I, you know, I, I you know, can't make this kid look good, you know, because like, you know, he's trying to take my, you know, thunder away. And then when he realizes that Decker is a competent and probably even more than competent, you know, officer, he's like, oh, shit, you know, <laughs> guy's actually not too bad, you know. So it's like there's that arc with him and Decker, you know, where like. They may not like each other, but there does seem to be a respect that grows during the movie, which is nice. So, Mike, I know you're not a huge fan of this movie, but do you have any thoughts? And did you did you rewatch it? And then if you did rewatch it, did you fall asleep? <laughs> yes, I did rewatch it. And no, I didn't fall asleep because I watched it in two parts. <laughs> <laughs> I watched you're a hour, cheater. I watched, yeah, I watched an hour yesterday and then I watched. Watch the remaining hour and ten, like today. Mike, Mike, and, um, Mike yeah. takes a crunch out of his apple. I don't like to lose. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, 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 I found the no. I, I don't believe in the no-win situation. <laughs> uh, you change but, the uh, conditions of the test. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I pick the uh, Kobayashi maybe later. <laughs> the, the Kobayashi maybe later, right? I put it on pause and then came back to it. But uh, well, uh, you know, for listeners, like you know, the longtime joke with me in this movie is like I had never seen the motion picture up until very shortly after we did our very first Star Trek show on this podcast, which must have been in like what twenty twelve, maybe twenty eleven. Yeah, like, probably. So. Like, and it, like after hearing you guys like constantly, you know, jo- making jokes and references to it, like one, probably only a few weeks after we recorded that episode, it was on TV and it was like the first like 10 minutes of the movie. And like, I was at my folks house and I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to be here for a while. So I'm going to watch this. And, you know, I sat down and watched this and my mom sat down and like watched it with me. And she was like, oh yeah, I like Star Trek. Like I'll watch it with you. So like we got to the point where they're entering their first entering V'ger and they're going through and there's that, you know, very long special effects shot of them like marveling at V'ger and, you know, how, you know, expansive it is. And, you know, it goes on for like forever. And I'm like, and I was kind of like saying, I was like, well, this is really going on forever. Like, right, mom? And like, I turned to my mom and she's fast. Asleep. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then, like, I didn't even know. Like, I think she was like, I was talking to her like not five minutes before. So like that literal, that shot literally like put her to sleep. So like, <laughs> that's, that's the culprit, huh? Yeah. So uh. like. I've always like after seeing that movie that that first time and then I think I saw it like a one or two more times like over the years and then I rewatched it like this week. Like I for, like I first of all like kind of like Batman 89 when we talked about this like unlike you guys I have zero like nostalgic love for this movie so I probably judge it a lot differently than you guys do. I firmly believe that 
um, in this like two hour and 10 minute movie, there was a great like hour and a half movie, but like it needs to like the editor in me like needs it to be trimmed severely the hell down. Like I think like I, I know like what you're saying, like, like, you know, this was the first time you could like, like Tony said, this is the first time fans could had seen the enterprise and the crew and like, you know, the universe, like in a, in a long time. And it was up on the big screen. It was up on like the biggest screen you could possibly put. So, you know, they kind of, you know, they wanked it off, you know, you know, they wanked for the fans you know? a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, I understand all that, but like, you know, t- when I don't have the nostalgia context for it and I don't have that context for it, it's just kind of like, you know, it feels a little overindulgent to me. And like, and like, I think even like William Shatner, like has said, like when he like came, when he watched the movie, like in the theater for the first time that like he hadn't realized like how sluggish it was. And he thought like they had killed Star Trek for good, like after they watched it, like the first time. But then, you know, obviously they didn't like it was a big success and whatever. But like, I, I like I really like the story being presented here. And, but I think like, like I said, it's a bit over, overdone. Like if, if they could edit it down into like an hour and a half movie, like this was supposed to be like the pilot for phase two, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, so that, I, yeah. Like, it, cause it, it, the movie ends, like, I feel like it's the end of a normal TV episode almost. Like, I mean, there's the great line where he's like, you know, that away, like, like, you know, let's go out there like that away. Like, there, there's definitely moments in this where even though it's a theatrical movie, you can still see the moment they return from commercial break. Every time he starts with Captain's Log in this movie, I feel like, oh, that's when they would have cut back from commercial break, like if yeah. it was on TV or something yeah. like that. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's there's things there that are, are pretty obvious. I mean, that transition between was it going to be a the pilot for a TV show and was it going to be a film? Like I I can appreciate that that transition, you know, was not seamless, right? Like that, that's, that's perfectly understandable. There's definitely some deliberate pauses in the, uh, the flow. Yeah. And so like, I mean, I like this movie, but I don't, like love it i guess like i you know like i know you guys like grew up with it basically or you know at least you know we're big enough fans of star trek to like you know clutch it to your bosoms and whatever but like i don't have that frame of reference so like while i appreciate this movie like i kind of take a more critical eye to it and i mean there are certainly like lines and like moments that i really like in this movie there are like very powerful scenes i think I think the acting is pretty good in it. Like, you know, people like to make fun of Shatner, but I, I agree with Tony. Like, I think, you know, him, like, you know, even like Decker and like, uh, Ilea, like they, they all get like, you know, they, they're good. They do a good job, like acting wise in this, like, and, uh, you know, there are certain scenes like, like, you know, the transporter malfunction, like that, that's a really like, it kind of reminds me of like the twilight zone almost where it's like, you know, what you don't see is more horrific than mm. what you can mm. see. So like, you know, that always kind of freaked me out. Like I was like, Ooh, I wonder what they looked like when they went like back through the transporter. Like were they like I, just blobs of flesh or whatever? I, or, I, I, I love, I love, I love uh, turn inside out and exploded. <laughs> I, I love, I love that guy's line reading. What came back Enterprise didn't live long, you know, and you're just like, ooh, like that doesn't that doesn't fucking sound was, good. 
was it in the like I know it was supposed to be that Vulcan guy that like was going to be his first officer, but was it only in the novelization that they said it was his wife or like because I didn't get that at all? Yeah, yes. I, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, like and it certainly in the actual movie they don't seem to like react like it's that. Yeah, way. Like, he does. Yeah, yeah. So. They do like you know when Decker loses Ilya, you know, like curse on like I lost my wife today, you know. It's like you know, yeah, you think, yeah, but yeah, I mean, there are there are tons of like you know scenes like that. There's there's tons of memorable stuff in this movie. I think like as you can tell by my avatar, I love like seventies disco like McCoy, like when they you know they poach him for the planet. He's got his big open shirt and his medallion and his hippie beard. Like I think that's awesome. <laughs> He's but, like, I, lo- I love it when this was your idea. <laughs> yeah yeah that's a great scene but but yeah like i i mean like i said i like it but it would never be like on if i were to rank all the star trek movies like it would never be like even in the top five probably so so my my quick uh butt hurt counter argument to that is gonna be if i told you you know what avengers is too long and drawn out there's too much ego and and uh i forget how you put it but just kind of you know fan wanking of time and it's like really what we need to do is knock the fuck out of that first hour because it's all pointless setup and in fact why don't we just cut that hawkeye guy out completely <laughs> you know and that, that's that's kind of like i'm just saying like like that's my butt hurt like reaction to it but i still understand what you're saying because i kind of agree that the first hour of avengers is a fucking slog so i i don't know but that's just you know it's like after you've seen it the first time and you got all the setup like i think that's the pain of this movie is is once once you heard the yellow tights you're a dick joke the first time it's never funny ever again even if it was funny that first time and 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 part of it is that whole you know ship porn i guess is what they like to call it you know like all that kind of stuff that the pan around the klingon cruisers the 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 pans up and down of 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 the enterprise and space dock you know the 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 long you know put your mom to sleep you know v'ger you know 82 au diameter sequence like all that stuff like like it's like once you've experienced it the first time there it, it it's kind of like it's kind of like reading a Superboy comic and knowing he's going to grow up to be Superman and Superboy is totally in the clear. Because it's like, you've you've seen it that first time, but I th- I want to say, like, from the bottom of my heart, I think when, when, when most people were first watching this for the very, very first time, I, I want to say they were either so giddy about seeing you know it's like every introduction was was special right it's like it's like kirk comes on stage and everybody's like yay mccoy gets his own entrance everybody's like yay and then oh spock hitches a ride on the shuttle everybody's like yay you know like like all those moments had their own little theatrical kind of entrances and and the same thing with the the enterprise and everything and and i want to say with the v'ger thing like I think people were on the edge of their seat because they didn't know it was the fucking Voyager satellite, but we all know it now, right? But at the time, everybody would have been like, yeah, every every everybody would have been like, what is this? Where are they going? What's going to happen next? Oh my God, the door closed behind them. Like, how are they going to get out? Kirk's going to have to fucking blow up the Enterprise. You know, they got this, uh, you know, carbon unit. We aren't opening fire on the entire planet. Disclose the information. And everybody's like, what the fuck's going to happen? So, like, I, you know, that that's that would be my only, you know, wildly lashing out at you, like, like a little girl slapping fists, you know, kind of going like, uh, th- that's my, that's my counter argument to that whole thing. Well, there's no like 
there's no ten minute rotation around Nick Fury's bald head in Avengers. <laughs> Uh, Mike did say came from a non-nostalgic point. So, like with Avengers, you know, you 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 enjoy the ride. With Star Trek: The Motion Picture, yeah, I think that's also the key. You have to enjoy the ride. Yeah, and yeah, the, the ride's not fast. Like I said, I am not the most ardent supporter of this movie. There's things I uh, am going with with positivity because Justin was really worried I was going to slam the shit out of this because he knows my general i guess you would say uh way of looking at this movie i wouldn't say dislike i don't dislike it even if star trek is like cold pizza like you know even if it's bad it's still pretty good my thing is when i look at the positives there are really a lot of strong positives and they do outweigh the negatives that i do have and like i said you know when you try to focus on the positives you do kind of give the bad thing some slack you know it's like and it's easy to make fun of this movie it really is especially when you first see it especially if you expect you know whiz bang action and then like kirk doing like you know fucking dives and rolling around and like you know getting a uh you know a boulder and throwing it at a gorn or whatever it, that's not going to happen this is a more thoughtful film I, and I, I was i was confused when kirk didn't make like a bazooka to beat beecher <laughs> I, I kind of thought, I kind of thought, uh, you know, Kirk was going to do his Kirk chop or Kirk kick on Viger, but that didn't go down either. You know, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna further apologize for the the movie, I guess, and also give the context of like, okay, this is post Star Wars, but this film was being made, and and then that pilot was being made way before Star Wars ever came out, right? So that that. It was a, a dynamic that changed the landscape of movie making. And when people start talking about pace and this is a slog and all this other stuff, it's like, did you fucking people see 2001 A Space Odyssey? I mean, th there were there were things that came before this. I mean, and don't get me wrong, like, I love Planet of the Apes, too, but I mean... Those movies were science fiction. That, that was the gold standard, and they were not breakneck fast-paced you know space dogfight movies they were you know they had an element of thoughtfulness to them and and they had elements of action but i mean th this was not in the you know i don't know 90s music video mtv you know jump cut fast cut you know there's got to be a cut on the screen every three seconds or somebody's gonna go to sleep this was you know, yeah, let's, let's, we paid a lot of money for this fucking Enterprise model, let's fucking see it, you know, like, that, that was the kind of reasoning behind it and everything, so, I mean, that, that's just me kind of giving more context to it, because it's like, you know, I mean, I, I've had people sit there, you know, and kind of go, oh, I, I think 2001 is fucking boring, and who knows, may, maybe it is to people, right, but that, that was the, the context of the, the science fiction type films that, that preceded this and that were being made i mean think about this star trek phase two which this this film was based on right was being written and developed when uh freaking uh what is it uh, uh escape from the planet of the apes was in the theaters do you know what i mean like 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 escape from the planet of the apes compared to star wars do you like there's nothing wrong with Escape to the Planet of the Apes, but I'm just talking in terms of pace, right? Like, th those are those are 
two completely different paced movies. And and I, I just think Star Trek, the motion picture, has that uh, handicap, if you will, you know, in, in a basketball game, right? Where where you know it's like it's like Star Wars got like you know. 15 extra points in the game, right? Like, before the game even started, because you're playing with, like, an old fucking ball, and the courts are all messed up, and I don't know, whatever the excuse is, but it's like, it's it, it's coming out of a different mindset and presentation and age. It'd be like saying, you know what, uh, uh, I find, uh, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm just trying to think of something, but it's like it's like the same aversion people have to, like, Yeah, or, or it's like the same aversion people have to like black and white films or silent movies or, or somebody comparing, you know, the 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 universal monsters to eighties slasher films to like today's torture, gore, porn, whatever the fuck it is. Like those are all totally different you know, it's like if like if you're totally into the Saw movies, you're not gonna sit there and go, Hey, guess what you'd really like? Halloween. Do you know what I mean? And if you like Halloween, if you like James Carpenter's Halloween, I, I don't think you're going to like this, or at least, I mean, if, 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 if you're strictly adhering to that, like, I, I don't know that you're necessarily going to enjoy the Saw movies. So it's like, I don't know, to me, I think there's a, there's a, a context to it and, and, and the style to it that, you know, yeah, it, it came out after Star Wars, but there, there's still that pre-production aspect to it that makes it slightly a throwback to a different era of filmmaking too and again like if that's not for you know if that's not quote unquote for you you know the royal you like so be it but i mean that that's kind of i guess that's what i've come to sort of understand and accept as as a context for this film and i i think you know what's funny about it it's like i i i don't know that i you know i know there's a lot of talk about oh it's time for people to reevaluate this movie or or you know whatever the phrasing is and it's like i don't know that i necessarily need to do that but to me i mean it's like you you kind of said you would not put this in your top 5 you know star trek movies and this and that you know and, and to me i think i've always been a pretty big proponent of any of the original cast films and 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 it's true what you said like maybe a lot of that is due to nostalgia but i mean i I mean other than maybe you know star trek 5 i i would not i i would not put this on a low rung of of star trek films you know what i mean like like i'm like i mean to me i would i would probably put a lot of the you know sorry guys but i would probably put a lot of the next generation films lower than star trek the motion picture you know what I mean? Like that in, in my rankings, you know, like, like, I, but that's, that's just how I roll, but you know, so be it. I mean, there, there's people from, from the same generation and era that were, you know, literally put to sleep by this movie, just like your mom. So it's not like, it's not like that doesn't exist. I mean, it, it does exist. Like people, people go to sleep watching this movie. So be it. You know, we already t- talked about the, um, the first Abrams film, you know, when we were doing these anniversary shows and I like that film, but if you gave me the choice, like I could either watch this film or the first Abrams film, like I would probably pick the motion picture almost every time because this film offers so much more to me. Like this is the most Star Trek film, the Abrams film. I mean, like I said, I like it, but it's big, dumb and loud. This film is kind of, 
quiet, calm, subdued, deliberate. It's it's, it's deliberate and contemplative. You know? Yeah, like there's not there's there's not a whole lot to contemplate in the Abrams film other other than like if you're like me and Tony, you're like a huge uh, Trek fan, and you're like nitpicking like plot points you're like well how did that happen like that doesn't make sense like to me that's what the abrams film offers it's like plot holes and things you pick apart but like i mean there are some things like that in the motion picture but not very many like i sit back and watch the motion picture and i'm just like you know you think about stuff spock says like you know it's like you know there's a point in everyone's life when you turn to you know your dad your brother or god and you want to know is this all that i am will i be anything else like why was i created there's nothing like that in the first abrams film it's like woo space lasers whizzy bam woo <laughs> well, well, I mean, this, this movie does do one thing really well too that is is really simple to say but a lot of movies don't do this anymore it tells a complete story you start off with this menace and like, it's like, you know, it's like aliens and alien, uh, alien and aliens. It's like alien was a horror movie. Aliens was like a kick ass movie. We're going to kick some ass. Star Trek isn't about kicking ass. They, they, yeah. they go and they, they read, they, they find out what's going on. And yeah, yeah. that that's the big difference in this film and the other films that follow it. Like V'ger, they think is this big, bad thing. They got to go investigate it. Once they get to the heart of the problem, they're like, oh, this isn't a bad thing at all. We just got to, like, you know, use our minds and figure this out instead of blowing it up. All the other ones, it's like, uh, I'm a clone. I'm a flyer. I'm a pilot. I'm going to blow up Earth for reasons. And he gets stabbed in the chest and things blow up and you don't care. Yeah. like I mean, like a, a good example, honestly, is in the Abrams movie. Um, I hate to say this, but I'll, I'll, I'll just be honest. They destroy Vulcan, and except for Spock's reaction, because it's Leonard Nimoy, and I love Leonard Nimoy, I think he's a great actor, them blowing up Vulcan didn't mean shit to the goddamn movie. It, it really didn't seem to mean anything, and I'm like, man, if they, if they did that in, like, the original cast films, it would be devastating. Like, you know, they would give Spock a moment, they would give Kirk a moment, they would give the whole crew a moment, and they would wonder why... Nero was doing it, but Nero was just like, you know, you know, fucking, you know, hey, Kirk, you know, what's up? Um, I'm Nero, gonna blow up shit, kind of mad. But V'ger is not really destroying things, is trying to collect data and knowledge. Like, like Derek said, it's actually very brainiac in a way. It's, it's trying to accumulate things. And, and that's more thought provoking than just like you know i'm a i'm a bad guy on a mining ship you know i got tattoos you know i was like i mean i i think if i blame uh, star trek the motion picture for anything it's my uh my thirst for material that explains what happened between the end of the five-year mission and this movie and that it made me try to read that lost years novel about 70 (laughs) times and i'll tell you what mike you think you fall asleep when you're watching this fucking movie, like try reading that lost years book. And I dare you to get past it. I swear to Christ. I I literally, literally, I was in the bathtub trying to read this thing. And and that's why that copy of the lost years is wet. (laughs) I dropped it it in the damn bathtub. So yeah, see, I, I back, I'll back up Derek on this fully. I have like two copies of that book. Ever since it came out, I've tried to finish it. I can't even finish it. It's 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 
it's intolerable. Like, like I read shit. <laughs> Justin reads shit. I, I don't read books, but I tried to read this book. Like I it must have been like five times. Like, and and it's like it's it's that uncanny valley of like you read enough of it and then you 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 can't stand it anymore, so you don't read it, and then you're like, I forgot what the fuck happens in this book. Let me start from the beginning again, and then you get to like right around the same mark, and you're like, oh yeah, I remember why I stopped reading this now, <laughs> and you just can't. It's like a hump you just can't fucking get over. But I I have to say. This film gave me an insatiable curiosity, you know, like that notion of, like, why did Kirk, you know, if he was so into being a starship captain, why why did he accept the Admiralty? Why did Spock go home to Vulcan just to focus exclusively on the Kolinar? Like, how did McCoy get his space hippie beard? You know, like, all these are, like, burning questions. And it's like, it, to, to most Star Trek fandom, it's fun to read whatever interpretations of these these gaps there are, you know, I mean, there's, there's versions of it in the comics. There's these novels that we're talking about and things like that. So, I mean, I I think that also sort of, I think inspired a lot of people's imaginations as far as that goes. And then, and then um, I was going to ask you, Justin, did you ever read the thing? Because I, I, I think you mentioned it to me before, but I, I wasn't for sure. But there's that story where I guess Q hangs with Decker for like five minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like what? Like like? Could you go into more detail about what what that's all about? Um, if you remember, like, because because all, all I really read was that you know it's like he he momentarily splits Decker from the the merged form that they have as a new life form, and then sort of renews his I don't know pledge or you know I don't know renews his uh, uh, I mean there, there's a moment where he has doubt, but then then he has sort of a renewed vigor you know, to, to continue on to be this merged life form and, and, and sort of gets past the doubt. And, and, and then, and then somehow that inspires Q to go, you know, hit up Picard or whatever, or something like that. that. That's pretty much the story. It's not very, not very long. Like, I think it's in one of those waypoint okay. comics that okay. came out like this year, maybe. Okay. But yeah, like Decker, basically the, the life form that, you know, Decker and the, yeah, Aaliyah probe merged into, it's like, it's, illustrated as like this blank being with like these little i don't know purple like lines and patterns in it and then you know like q kind of puts decker to the side and is like you know letting decker like be himself for a few moments and then it like goes back together and and then you see like the enterprise fly off and you've got like the new life form it's kind of you know contemplating its new existence and then goes out into the universe to explore or whatever but yeah I, I just wanted to ask Justin, what becomes of V'ger? Like, are there other stories with V'ger? No, no. Believe it or not, they've never really followed yeah, up on V'ger. Or, you know, like I was always I'm, to this day, like I'm, I'm still kind of expecting like a novel that kind of goes into Decker and Ilya's background. Like, I would love a book like that. Like, I, I would read the shit out of a book like that. But they just never. They never really touch on that. Like there, there is one book that takes hey, place. Ju- Justin, it could be like the good version of the courtship of Princess Leia. <laughs> That'll be nice. Um, there, there's one novel that takes place immediately after Star Trek: The Motion Picture. It's called Ex Machina, and it's very interesting. Like basically, it picks up immediately after the film. They're giving Enterprise the shakedown. They're talking about like, you know, this is supposed to be like the most. Uh, 
diverse ship and all Starfleet like Decker assembled this crew and and something they mentioned in this book which this was not anything they ever planned for the TV show but like if Decker had remained captain like the only people from the original Enterprise crew that were still attached were Scotty and Uhura was going to be Decker's first officer I thought that was really interesting but um but that ex machina like that's a that's a really good book and it kind of it kind of talks about Decker and Ilea a little bit, and it kind of like is it like an aftermath, like you know, like the first couple chapters they're dealing with the aftermath of Viger and all that stuff. And then the only other big reference I can think of is that um, Dead of Honor comic book, mm. which I know you've read, Derek, where it's like they're they're going, what is it? They're they're following Viger's path back through the Klingons, and then they run into like Kirk's old Romulan girlfriend yeah, and all that. Yeah. But like that's those are the only big instances I can think of where they even like broach on. Well, I mean, and then and then we've already talked about it, but there's that. The, wasn't there the the one where they establish about the Borg like being the ones that oh, patch up Viger yeah, yeah. and everything? Star Trek: The Return. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say because it would be cool if they like linked V'ger to the Borg like somehow. Yeah, like, they, they they say it's from a machine planet. Yeah, they or, they did so. Yeah, yeah, like when when the Borg go to assimilate Spock, they stop. They're like, oh, we've already assimilated this guy. Since Spock's like, well, I've n- I ain't never been assimilated. What are you talking about? And then they're like, oh, that planet, the V'ger planet, that's the Borg. Oh, okay. Uh, by the way, Derek, first of all, uh, fuck you, man. Prince Isidore and the fucking Apons <laughs> are pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Read the truth of Bakura, Derek. Uh, it's a good book. Uh, I- I'm going to kidnap you, and you're going to marry me, and that's what's going to happen. Uh, yeah. but, uh, I like the good Star Wars books, but um, what I was going to say was uh, I did want to say something that I really, really liked about this movie to just give it an aside. Visually, the the costume designs were really good. I know that uh, Justin also said, like you know, he had like you know, the the figure or like or Derek said he had the figure. Like you know, it was like there's a totally different Star Trek uniform. I liked the uniforms. I liked the security guard uniforms. They were padded and they looked you know kind of bulky. And I was like, oh, that's Starfleet security. And then you had like Scotty because he got fat. You know, I mean, this was a, still a thing. You know, but they gave him like the engineer uniform with like little disc on it. You know, and it seemed like there was different actual like branches of starfleet and i like that i like that idea is like you know it's like oh if you're security you get like this uniform because you know you got to protect people you're in engineering like you're next to a like a nuclear bomb more or less you need like more of a like utility work suit and then like i really like the kind of gray and the gray and white like shirt for kirk i understand they were kind of form-fitting and like everybody got fat so they had to kind of curtail that. But I, I think the costuming and like the look of this movie is really cool. I I appreciate the uniforms. I always liked that these uniforms were a deliberate reaction to the original series uniforms. You know, those uniforms were so colorful because they wanted to try and help sell color televisions. That's why they're different colors. When Robert Wise came on board this picture, he was like, you know, I don't think those will look so good on the big screen. They may they may look too colorful and tacky. Like let's kind of let's tone it down. Let's do like grays and beige and tan and white. Like that's and that was a deliberate choice. Like he wanted it to be completely different. And I was like, that's that's interesting to me. Like those uniforms, those are like the bomber jacket era of Star Trek. <laughs> you, you know what was funny was I think in some of those documentaries they had clips of 
I think Persis, like she was in mm-hmm. like the the gold mini yeah, skirt or yeah. whatever and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because I never mm-hmm. I never thought of Phase Two as as them kind of moving forward with you know the the uniforms that everybody was used to from the original series. But it looks like that might have been a, a path they were going to take. Out of out of like the bounds of like what we expected from Star Trek, you know, it was like it was that was like a cool thing that they actually decided to do with a new look. And went that route. Um, yeah, and, you know, Princess Kambada's, like, you know, uh, probe outfit was was really short. I, I like that. <laughs> I think in the uh, Red Letter Media review of uh, this movie, they call it her karate uniform. <laughs> made me laugh. <laughs> this, this will probably be my, my final thoughts, because I had to come in this with a positive attitude, and I, I do slam this movie a lot, just because it's fun. It's fun to slam this movie from a Star Trek fan point of view, because there is, there's you know things that you can easily make fun of. But the thing is, is if you are also a Star Trek fan, you do that from a nice place, because you realize how important this film is. It basically started a franchise with the movies, and as well, it brought Star Trek back. And that's one thing I really love. Because if it weren't for this movie, there's there's a good chance we would have not had the Next Generation or DS9, my favorite show. We would have never had Star Trek again if this had flopped or you know it wasn't a big you know box office winner. And I really appreciate that. But also, as I've gotten older, again, I appreciate the story more. I appreciate the acting more. It's things that like you do as a person. You grow. And Star Trek grew with me, and I really appreciate that. It was like, oh, I was too young to appreciate that originally, but as it like changed and grew, um, you know, into a shoot 'em up, bang bang thing, I'm like, I appreciate that less. But with this, I can appreciate. Yeah, this, I, I think when that director's cut came out, I was probably 18, so like there was a big difference between you know me watching this when I'm like, you know five or six and me watching this when I'm 18 and all that stuff about, you know, questioning who you are, why you're here and, you know, what is God and all this stuff. It's, it's very, uh, timely, like, especially if, if like, you know, like me at the time you were about to leave high school and you had these thoughts already on your mind. Well, I mean, I, 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 I will back up Tony in that when, when I make fun of this movie, you know, when I go into my whole, you know, carbon unit, deal or whatever i mean that's that's kind of comes from a place of love you know what i mean like i don't i i, I mean you you have to have uh you know enjoyed and experienced the movie a bunch to to do that i mean and I, i'm certainly not the, the fat fuck two seats over from me snoring you know i'm the guy that's watching the movie and getting a <laughs> kick out of it and having a good time and everything i mean you know they're like like you know anything there's 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 things to to critique and point out and everything but the, to me i mean there's a lot of a lot of fun things that i you know enjoy and appreciate about the movie the score like is said i mean i i i have a soft spot like i said for the the uniforms just because of those three and three quarters you know mego figures and everything like that and you know i i think that looks pretty pretty slick you know kirk's admiral uniform and stuff like that like that that's very cool and then you know as far as um as far as uh I guess what could have been, you know, like whether it's ancillary supplementary, like 
novel material dealing with Ilea or Decker's backstory or, or, you know, what, what phase two would have ended up looking like. I mean, you know, it, that, that kind of stuff as, as a fan, it's kind of interesting to, to look at and kind of be fascinated by. But I mean, I, I kind of feel like we got the better end of the deal because the film brought Leonard Nimoy back to the fold. And I feel like if they had done phase two and it was just uh, Zahn or whatever. I think that would have been like, uh, you know, Cody and Vance and, and, you know, freaking uh, uh, Troy and, and Dylan, you know, like all these guys that like replaced like the real guys, you know, and you would have been like, yeah, that's not, you know, that's not quite, you know, what I would have wanted. Yeah, wasn't wasn't like Nimoy in his like I am not yeah. Spock phase yeah. like mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, he um he was also in this legal dispute. Like he felt like uh, Roddenberry sold him out. Like there was some kind of like beer ad like in Europe or something, and like they used you know some picture of Spock and like it's like it's three pictures. It's like Spock's ears are down. He takes a sip of beer, and then the beer makes his ears go back pointed. And Nimoy was mad because like no one no one asked him if they could use his likeness and no one gave him any money. And he wanted Roddenberry to be like, Give me some money. And Roddenberry of course was like, No. But then when Robert Wise came on, he was like I think they said it was Robert Wise's wife, like she was a fan. She was like, You gotta get Litter Nimoy back or this won't be anything. So that's the first thing he did. It's like I, I guess it was like under the table, like they they cut Nimoy a check for that money. He felt he was old and got him on board. That that seems like the the classy thing to do, you know. Yeah. I, I was just gonna say, man, if like I said, if Chekhov was uh, was the probe, then it'd be like uh, Skippy the Jedi droid not blowing up. Everything would have gone to piss in a pot, you know. I guess my final thoughts would be, um, you know, th- there's a reason I watched this so many times, uh, and it wasn't just to do my homework. Like I genuinely love this movie. I love. The characters, the special effects. I like the slow and deliberate and thoughtful story. I like how it's the antithesis to a lot of films that followed it, and a lot of modern science fiction films. Yeah, it's it's just something that you know. The older I got, the more I have appreciated. And you know, every every so often, I'll take out one of the versions uh, uh, on DVD and sit down and watch it and just enjoy it. And uh, this is me saying, uh, release the 4K. <laughs> director's cut with the ABC and the theatrical in one set. You know, sign sign the petition, everybody. Let's let's get that done. I, I feel like if I was in charge of like some kind of new cut, I would go in and I would paint out Decker's unit in that one scene because I don't want to see that. <laughs> if you know what I mean. So his uniform was too tight. Is all I'm saying in that one scene. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm glad, I'm glad he, I'm glad he got out of the pajama version and got into the two piece version because it kind of hides, you know, it goes down further. The the jumpsuit pajama version, you're like, oh no, I didn't want to see that. <laughs> oh my god! You didn't want to see Decker's carbon unit. I didn't want to see his unit. Period. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I agree with. You. I'm like something for the mothers. <laughs> <laughs> Something modern, <Yeah>. stupefied, <laughs> with the death of Oh, God. Oh, no. All right. Well, I guess 
I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this is, is wrapping things up. So if anyone has any comments, questions, and or concerns, if, if you love this film and you're mad that we weren't positive enough, or if you, if you think this movie is totally boring and puts you to sleep and we weren't hard enough on it, send us your angry, angry emails. Send us, uh, emails to, uh, podcast at gmail.com. Uh, address them to stupid carbon units. And if you want to check out backlogs of all the Fan Holes podcast proper episodes, if you want to listen to the other anniversary Star Trek episodes we have on the proper show, you can check them out over on fanholesepodcast.blogspot.com. We're on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, and feedback. And we can be streamed on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts. So until the next time, this is Derek, Derek WC, Spawn, Spawn, signing off. It's Mike, and they drafted me for this podcast. They drafted me. This is Justin, targeting asteroid. This is Tony and uh, Mike. Don't don't worry, Mike. There's nothing more you could have done, Mike. <laughs> Damn it! I need you, Mike. <laughs> Shit, man. Like... <laughs> Shit, man. Why are you putting that on me? Yeah, I was like, what the fuck, Kirk? Why are you being an asshole? What is it with that? She didn't do nothing. I was laughing at like that scene where they park like the Enterprise and V'ger and like you know Kirk and the rest like go outside the Enterprise to walk over there like for some reason like since there's a light like at the top of the bridge I thought that was where the door was so I thought they were gonna like come out of the Enterprise like on the very top of the dish and then you know Kirk was gonna be like like follow me and then like slide down <laughs> like you know the saucer say like we know what I wanted to ask, too? Maybe Justin can elaborate on this. Like, I heard that they originally planned for, like, Chekhov to die in this movie at some point. Was that when, like, the console exploded, like, on him I, and burned him? Or I never heard that, no. Yeah, like, I read that cool. somewhere. Like, I was mm. trying to pinpoint where that might be. And I, I assume it's when that console, like, burned him or whatever. But I, I know there was a scene, like, you know, when the probe shows up and it's all electricity and stuff, like... 
there was a scene where security guards came up and shot at it with phasers and those guys were like vaporized but they um they decided to cut that because they thought it would be more dr- dramatic at the end to say we've got two people missing you know decker and yeah. Ilya. It would have been better than Kirk saying, like, I need two red shirts up here, like, immediately. Like, (laughs) you know, enact a hostile action against this unknown alien. But, um, thanks for indulging me, you guys. Yeah, no no problem. I I like this movie. I I didn't mind rewatching it. And I I wanted to see it because I had never seen it in the theater before. So I I did want to go watch it, despite the fat piece of shit that was snoring next to me. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, other than that, like, I mean, it, it was cool. I mean, it was fun to watch and stuff. And I, I have to admit, I haven't seen the theatrical cut in so freaking long. It was it was weird because I was like, yeah, I think this is the theatrical cut, you know? And then I was like, yeah, I just... I, and then, I don't know, like, I guess I just was never really... I did not intently you know, do a stare and compare on it until, until this, you know, week or whatever, like prepping to do this. And I was just like, wow, I didn't realize like how vastly different the two versions are. Yeah. You know, you know though, I was, I was thinking about that today about the ugly baby and I'm sitting there thinking, cause you posted that video about Dune. And then I was thinking about poor Paul Atreides and Dune Messiah. And I'm thinking about poor oh, yeah. blue titty drinking fucking Luke Skywalker and all this shit. And I was like sitting there thinking to myself, I'm like, God damn, Captain Kirk went out like a fucking hero compared to those two idiots. 